1: Hello, and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas.
0: And I'm Nikki Shields.
1: This is episode 29, and this is another back-to-school issue. In fact, it's a continuation of the last one we did. This is Unexpected Coping Skills, Part 2. Two, And the reason this is part two, um, I guess we should stop you. And if you haven't listened to part one, go listen to it first. That is kind of mine and Nikki's ideas, more so Nikki's, uh, since she's the professional um, therapist there. I just, I live in a, in a parent with a, of a child with anxiety. So that's my expertise, if you will. We talked about things that can help. In a school, certain things you might not think of like something as simple as chewing gum can cause an, an anxious child to settle down. Um, we talked about the importance of hoodies being kind of a protection when a child gets anxious and gets overwhelmed, they can put that hoodie up and that's a signal to the teacher and an adult in the room to say, okay, something's going on. But then we thought it would be fair to bring in an educator and say like why things aren't allowed or what is allowed, why things are the way they are. And so we welcome Chrissy Cox, who was a principal Um, in our local school district. And I bring Chrissy in because she was my son's principal when he was in elementary school. And the atmosphere she showcases of social emotional health is above and beyond anything I'd ever seen before. So Mm -hmm. I knew she would be the perfect guest to bring in Mm -hmm. and talk about this. So welcome, Chrissy.
2: Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: Well, let's start off kind of generally. How important is social emotional health in the school districts these days?
2: Oh, my goodness. I think so much has changed, you know, regarding social, emotional uh, well-being of of children and staff and just right the world. I mean, like it's a I think everyone's social, emotional health is um, has become a priority, especially as we've Um, Just, you know, walk through all of these COVID times and things like that. So I always say you can't teach someone whose brain is not ready to learn. So Mm -hmm. if they don't feel safe, they don't feel loved, they're not going to feel ready to learn. And so the social emotional well-being of a child comes before before anything else. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Chrissy, our last episode, as Chad summarized, you know, we threw out a bunch of potential ideas, mm-hmm. you know, surprising coping skills that help kids. And as we walked through that, there were some things that we pointed out may or may not be welcome in a classroom setting. Mm-hmm. And so we want to get your take on that. Um, can mm-hmm. you, you know, ha- having listened to that episode, can you tell us, are there some things you heard us say? They're like, no, absolutely not. That's not going to work at school. We should not recommend that to people.
2: Actually, after listening, I, I didn't think that there was anything that you guys recommended that we haven't already tried with students, you know, at, at, uh, at our school. Um, I do think that, you know, it's based upon kind of what the, what the child needs, right? Just like when, when a child needs um, a certain intervention for reading, this intervention worked, but this one works, but this one may not, you know. So you kind of have to find that right fit of what works specifically for the child. And what children need need to utilize really probably are vast and different. So we really wouldn't want to limit what's best for the for the children. I and I've shared with my staff um, several times. So I am someone that um, had a childhood disease. And I, um, things were very different for me. So, you know, if my blood sugar was low, I got orange juice and my friends watched me drink orange juice, you know, Mm. uh, to bring my blood sugar up. So if a child is suffering from anxiety and the best way for them to handle that is to put their hood up, then that's what that child needs. So I think it just really has to be based upon the needs of the child and what the, you know, what's that best fit at that time for that kiddo. So I can see where some of it maybe could get you talked a little bit about the doodling and can they listen and doodle at the same time? And I, I think surprisingly, most most children that use the doodling can do both. You know, the the fidgeting, the you know, it's it's amazing. Like that's that's helping them to focus even more.
1: Hmm. And I, I've seen that with my son. So, mm-hmm. but again, he's just one of three mm-hmm. billion people on the planet, or thirty billion, however many, <laughs> here on this great planet of ours. Um, on the other side of that, Chrissy, are, are there any things that you've done or tried that? Have worked really well that you could give parents and educators that listen to this episode a little advice?
2: Well, I think one of the things that is um, really helpful for children is for them to know and understand why their brain is working the way it is. So I think that education, I think one of the most powerful things that we have done with our kiddos when they're dysregulated is you know allowing them to to utilize their coping skills but when they're regulated um we teach them the why behind their brain so like did you know that when this was happening this is where you were thinking in your brain and then they're like like a profound statement a student made to me once like they made a video about this like other kids have these problems not just me and so i think like knowing that like yeah other other kids struggle with this sometimes and this is what's happening and Um, And yes, they've made videos about it to to help educate you about what you can do the next time to make things better for you. So I think educating children is powerful. We really like in education. It's really a three a three part system, right? Like it's the the parent is I mean, that's their child. That's their best whatever kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grader that they have to offer. And then you have the teacher. You like the teacher is you know, a very, very important part. And then you have the child. And so you have to keep everything really centered and balanced. And so I think a lot of open-mindedness has occurred. I think like just really helping our staff to understand and walk through what trauma may look and feel like, what how that might come out um in a classroom setting so i think educating staff has been powerful but then also just you know educating the child about the
0: reason why they might be struggling with some of the things that they are
1: the why behind the brain i like that
0: yeah. yes that speaks to me so much because I, I've just seen it be so powerful for a child to have an explanation of why something is happening or why they felt or reacted in the way that they did. And mm-hmm. it's not too much for them. It's not mm-hmm. too soon to learn about your brain. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love being able to do that. And it also makes my heart so happy to know that this is happening in the schools and that mm-hmm. this yeah. language is is taking place, you know, where they're going every day. That's awesome.
1: And they're not the only one that has a, an issue or a concern. Yeah, yeah.
2: And, and I think, you know, even I think sometimes we – discount that children can't maybe verbalize what it is that they're thinking or feeling. But I will tell you, my little five-year-olds can say like, it just feels red. Like it just feels red. And, and so they're, they're verbalizing there, you know, or, you know, at a first grader. So one time, I just don't know why my brain is so different. It just won't listen to me, you know? So they're verbalizing that they're, they're trying to make things Mm -hmm. better. They just can't, they just haven't figured it out just yet.
0: And I think so many things, if we can look at it through that lens of, like, the brain is not yet fully developed. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I we, we've we talked about diagnosis and we've talked about, you know, childhood mental health and, and mm-hmm. all, all those things. But so much of it is just they're kids and they're growing and they don't mm-hmm. have all these skills figured mm-hmm. out. And so when everybody, parents, teachers, all the mm-hmm. school staff are working together to help teach and educate them, you know, that's that's the only way we're going to get through it.
2: it. It really is. It really is. And I think, you know, broadening a teacher's horizons, like helping them to see uh, things differently. I'm going, I say this, and I don't think children have changed, but our world has changed, right? Yeah. So when I was, you know, 19 years old, I accessed education a lot differently than children are accessing education. Now I access my friends a lot differently than children are accessing their friends now. So knowing that things are moving and changing, we're not teaching in the same way. So we would have like flexible seating or opportunity. If you think about Our kids really can almost go anywhere and find the answers to most things. But our Mm. job really is to be educating them on helping them to to learn more about themselves. And I think one of the things that's important there is helping them to learn more about their own about their own emotional health.
1: I was going to ask and you kind of led into it, then we're the three of us are all roughly the same age. Uh-huh. So we grew up in a, in a school system that's just different from what it is today. Mm-hmm. And I've mm-hmm. talked about in past episodes how blown away I was when we went into our initial 504 meeting, and all the things that were offered or talked about mm-hmm. suggested as said, mm-hmm. like, "Wait, what you can do this just for mm-hmm. my kid. Mm-hmm. I don't ever see that being that when I grew up, mm-hmm. maybe it was I just didn't need it. But how Chrissy has things changed from when you were a student,
2: yeah, to how absolutely. they are now. So you know, as I mentioned, um, being a I had you know a childhood disease. And there was—I don't think my parents—we didn't have a 504 for it—and—and mm-hmm. and, and now we certainly would do that and write, a, you know, make, make accommodations. There was not a school nurse, huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like a full-time one. And—and and, you know, we have a full-time school nurse at our school, you know. But I also think that because we information is so vast, we have learned so much more about. Um, about the brain and about development and just about childhood development, adults, uh, interactions, trauma, the way our brain takes on information, our experiences, like all of that, how it really becomes and molds and shapes who we are. So I think so many things have changed. I've been in education a little over 20 years. And so when I began first teaching, I had students that are, are it Dim, that demonstrate a, a lot of maybe you know what I still see today. But I worked in a very high poverty mm-hmm. school building, ninety nine percent poverty, but we didn't. Right accommodations, we just provided them. You know, like I feel like we were even really then thinking about breaks and walking away and taking deep breaths or the doodling, gum chewing. And I I remember I had a cafeteria staff member that did not like that I gave this little guy gum 20 years ago. And so we had to really work on not sticking it on the cafeteria tray, you know, (laughs) so like we'd spit the gum out before we left, but it helped him, you know. So I think, have things, yes, I definitely think, but I. I think things have changed and evolved. I was thankful for an administrator that, you know, really knew and understand, understood regulating emotions. So even, even then, but not everybody has. And so it's just like, I guess, like as times have changed, you know, our, our, our learning about all of those things have changed as well. Let's move
1: the conversation into cell phones. Um, You heard Mm -hmm. in the episode, Nikki and I had a a pretty lengthy discussion on cell phones and Mm -hmm. neither one of us came to a conclusion of whether or not they were good or bad. So we We were
0: Switzerland, we
1: were Switzerland. (laughs) We could see the good part of it. We could see Mm -hmm. the bad part
0: of it Mm -hmm.
1: from an educator's perspective. Talk on that a little bit.
2: Oh goodness. I, I don't know that I have a, I want to be Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) Come join our club. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think that, uh, so again, like, I think one of the most important things is to look at the the student handbook. Um, That's where you are going to have a few more like guidelines specifically. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have a guideline about chewing gum or doodling, but you're going to have one about cell phone usage. So for us, our guideline is that they're not to be out at school, that they're to be put away and they're only for. for before and after school use. So at the junior high and high school, of course, it's much different. My uh, child is in high school and can freely text me at any time he would like. And I think that's a security kind of for him, um, Mm -hmm. knowing that, okay, even if I needed something, you know, my, my parents are right there and accessible. So I think as children get older, the cell phone piece can be a useful tool, but we just have to remember everything is is their tools, not toys like fidgets. Right. They're tools. They're not toys. And so I'm using this tool to help me, you know, refocus and regroup so I can get back to the learning that that I really want to be a part of. So use it as a tool. How about that?
1: That's great. That's great. No, yeah, I love it. I
2: like that
0: lingo a lot.
2: Well, and I think that's really like even with what you were talking about the fidget spinner in your uh, previous episode, like they, they were toys. And so we have to teach children how to use even like the poppets. I have like an auditory issue. I can't stand that loud popping noise, you know? So if I were a teacher, I would say, you can use your poppet. Can you try it on the soft side first? You know? So again, like trying to like ensure that I don't lose my mind over the loud side of the poppet but it's a tool and it's a tool to help you to calm down so you know when you are on the soft side you push as hard as you want when you turn it over on the louder side just do those a little softer you know so again use it as a as, as a tool you know not a yeah. toy so
1: to, tools do work. Toys have fun. That's, that's yes, the
2: Right. Yeah. And so that I think, you know, the, those are just like boundaries and parameters that have to be established. I, I think they have to be established in the classroom, but they also be, have to be established by the, you know, parent or guardian that are supporting the use of those in the classroom.
1: When it comes to communication with the parent, with the family,
2: mm-hmm. how
1: important does that play into what can and cannot happen in the classroom? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, my goodness. I think communication with families is, it it, it is the most important um, um, and I think when there's the lack of communication, then all of a sudden all of these things have happened and the parents are like, how did, what? Why have I not been, you know, informed of of all of this? Uh, I could have probably put some things in place or we could have got a, um, an additional counseling session, something we could have reached out to the counselor, those kinds of things. So parent communication is the most important thing. Um, I would say in all of schooling, and it's pretty easy, right? Like you can rattle off a text message, you can send an email. It doesn't always have to be that phone call that's traditional. And I think the same for, for parents. The better your child's going to be so much more successful in the classroom when you have the parents supporting you. So reach out and do those things. If you're an educator, you want those parents um, but I also think that takes takes risk, right? Because these parents, like they, that is their baby, that is their heart, walking outside of their body, like that is a, an extension of them. And to you as a teacher, it's one of your students that you would love and care about. But it's one of your twenty five kiddos that right. you have to make sure that everybody else is. So you know, it it is a little hard because sometimes those challenging conversations you don't want to don't want to hurt someone's feelings or make them feel like you don't care about their child. And so, but if you if you really want the child to be um successful, then you're going to ensure that you have that great communication
0: with families. So I have a fun question for you. Ooh, yay. <laughs> maybe <laughs> um, it, what what are the the requests that you could be classified as pet peeves? you know the requests from parents or counselors or students that that come to you as a school administrator, you know, we want our kid to be able to do this because of their mental health condition or because of this problem that they're having? What are the things that drive you nuts that just make you say, oh my gosh,
2: yeah, no. I don't know that I have. Uh, we've had a lot of very unique ones. <laughs> um, you know, like, you know, they, they have to have this specific uh toy and it is a toy you know like it's really not a tool but the parent is having a difficult time telling the child no so then we're the ones have to tell the child no so that's happened often you know like they really have to have their stuffed dinosaur in order to go to you know they have to carry that cuddle animal like that one happens a lot it's like oh and i understand that if it's if it's a tool and it really is what they what they need to help them gen it's (laughs) generally not um It's generally a toy and they just want to show off their toy, you know, because we do have a rule at school that, you know, we don't bring toys to school um, because unfortunately they can be taken and, you know, like not replaced and things like that. So if it's a tool, it's a little bit different. So otherwise, I don't think I have any huge huge pet peeves. We did, we have had a couple requests that when um, they're like, it's too hot or too cold, that really like they, they become more dysregulated. So like, it's too hot for their child to be outside um, that that they're going to have, you know, more likely to have a panic attack if they're outside and they get overly hot or more likely to be, you know, have a panic attack because they're too cold, those kinds of things. But
1: I was just gonna say you you, you could probably write a book on some of the things that that <laughs>
2: yeah. have been requested. No, they're then. not necessarily all like uh social emotional related,
0: but yes.
1: <laughs> well, and then I, I think too, it's like, you know, maybe, maybe it's worth a try and mm-hmm. uh, we'll mm-hmm. see it. And if it works, if not, then mm-hmm. they've got to be willing to let mm-hmm.
0: it go. Yes, and I know as as a counselor, I've I've had you know, could you write a note to the school that says it's okay that they X Y and Z? And my answer to that is most usually no, (laughs) (laughs) because you know I I, the school Mm -hmm. personnel that I've dealt with are typically pretty flexible and understanding Mm -hmm. and educated Mm -hmm. on. You know the things that that kids right. are needing help with, and so right. if the parents have spoken with mm-hmm. the school and the answer is no, then I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not going to get involved. So,
2: and and I will tell you, so we like personally used a like transition item for our uh, for our daughter to transition from our home uh, to school, like when when she was younger, and we knew when she no longer needed it because she was picking things that were truly her favorite toys versus mm. like these are your options, which transition item would you, would you prefer? And then she wanted to put in different choices because those were her like favorite toys. I, I did, And it was very helpful for her to say, okay, I'm going to take my horse with me today. And that's going to help me like, you know, to get to school. And then it goes in the book bag, but she would have never wanted to put her little princess Barbie, you know, in the in the book bag. So
1: her social emotional Barbie.
2: Don't we all have one of those
1: I do not know what you're talking about.
2: I think that is the next gen. <laughs> she
1: does so many careers that I'm sure there's, there's something in there for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, something I wanted I wanted to get into too was the the change of scenery that we talked to. Mm -hmm. and um, gosh, I I don't know which path. I feel like uh, Robert Frost here. I'm at at, at a divide in which (laughs) which path I want to go down. One way I want to do is, and I'll speak from experience, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. I'm just telling you the facts. My son needed an escape. He needed a change of scenery. He did Mm -hmm. not communicate that effectively. He would just leave the classroom. Then it becomes... A, a fleeing issue. Is he going to leave the building or whatever? So he would mm-hmm. then get in trouble and get a referral for leaving the classroom. Then he goes to your school and it's encouraged. If you feel overwhelmed, mm-hmm. you have two or three spots in the school where mm-hmm. you are safe and approved to go. Mm-hmm. Then the teacher sees him leave,
2: mm-hmm. texts
1: the office, somebody checks mm-hmm. and make sure he's in that safe spot. Mm-hmm. So that's one angle of, of how can you get teachers, educators, other adults in the system to understand that this is how things how Mm -hmm. children think and what they need. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's a communication thing of, dude, you can't do this, you've gotta communicate better. But also that's a cry for help that's that's a, a sign that says I need help I'm getting overwhelmed and I need I need a change of scenery.
2: I think first of all it kind of starts with your own self-awareness So being somebody that really does not enjoy conflict or strong emotions or any of those kinds of things, if I start to cry, I walk away you know don't want to see anybody those kinds of things I think it's important for us to recognize that every, action is usually you know based on some sort of emotion allowing the freedom for the child to select the places to go i think first of all it empowers the child like this is i can go here and be safe and everyone will know that this is my safe place like it is a spot where i can get gain what I want, you know, gain composure and then rejoin the class. So I think that is really the whole purpose of that, you know, escape, which we know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, fight, flight, freeze or fawn, you know, So like it's a it's flight and we're going to allow the flight. Uh, But you do have to put parameters on the flight. Right. Like it is not okay for you to leave the room and go anywhere you want to go you identify you you identify these three three areas so when you leave the room and the teacher lets us know we're going to find you in one of these three areas i think that again empowers the child i think the other piece that you asked is how do you allow or train staff or help them to understand that well listen i want you to think about yourself as a parent and your child begins to walk the wrong way, or you lost sight of your child. You begin to panic, right? Mm-hmm, and our right. first, our first thing is to be like, oh, "I've got to get them. Like they, they've done something. I, I've got to keep them safe." And so that, our teachers, I think, are much like that as well. Like this child just escaped my room, and now I don't know where they're. I don't know where they're going. I don't know what they're doing. Like they've got and to stop.
1: 20 some other kids that you're in charge of too. So that's what I say. I I get it.
2: Yeah. They have to stop doing that. That's, that's not okay. So it's really perspective, isn't it? Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's about how do you see this? Do you see this as communication or do you see it as misbehavior? And so really it's about perspective of the, of the teacher. And so, you know, we know that like it's it's communication generally like all all behaviors communication. So it's not any sort of a misbehavior. And then how do we kind of unpack that and then make a plan for it? So another example, we have had a student who needed very specific spot to go and he was being denied that spot on a regular basis. And so, you know, you have to also really like, be careful because you don't want to allow a situation to be abused, you know, like, right, oh, I'm, right. is there any time we're doing math? I am running away, you know? Yeah. I said, let's try this. Let's try every time he begins to have these, be- you know, to show this, to show this behavior, we're going to recommend that he go to this specific spot that he wants to go to. And you guys, it was like so powerful because every time he went exactly where he had told us all along he was going to go, he would regroup and return to the classroom, but it the teacher did not, um, I don't think at first, really believe that he would really go there. I think she was worried, like, he's going to leave the building, but also that he was going to go join everybody at recess, which doesn't that sound like fun? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's that <fine> line again. <laughs> but he didn't. You know, he really, truly went to this location that he had been trying to go to kind of all along. So again, like, it's really about perspective and understanding that this is a... This behavior is a communication, and it's not a behavior problem, or it's not a child being bad. It's them trying to regroup and re, re, re you know, regroup. Yeah. And
1: I so, think it's it's time to just say I think a, a big appreciation for the teachers.
2: Yeah. Who do ab- this because absolutely class absolutely. sizes
1: and everything, mm-hmm. and it is it's like everybody wants their child to be mm-hmm. number one in in their eyes, and certainly everyone else. But that teacher mm-hmm. has two dozen children in there, and they so do. they're they're trying to give that each kid
2: mm-hmm. individual mm-hmm.
1: attention. So I, I want to make sure that that's, that's shown. it. Oh my we gosh. I have,
2: the, I have the greatest respect for educators. I um, you know, it is a, it is a very tough job. So I definitely hope that that's definitely come across. And, and, and at the school where I work, we have so many staff that are truly invested in supporting children. It's been real. It's just, it's fun to be in this season of my life to mm. get to have kids come back and share appreciation with you about the staff that work in your building, you know, That's like, cool. Oh, I had her when I was in first grade and now I'm graduating from high school and telling about tough times that, that they went through and and the support of that teacher. So absolutely.
1: All right, Chrissy, let's talk about hoodies then, because I know this is another uh, bone of contention. And I, I use this because I spent 22 years in broadcast TV. And if I had a question by gosh, I could pick up the phone and ask a question and get it answered. So mm-hmm. I, I have you here at my disposal. So I'm going to ask some <laughs> questions. Um, Right ahead. With, with the hoodies, we had mentioned my son's going to junior high and it's school policy. You mentioned mm-hmm. the handbook that you can wear a hoodie, no hoods up on the head. And I get that that's probably a societal thing of of it being deemed as disrespectful. And we talked about in the last episode of how, yeah, you're slouching in your chair, your hood's up, you're not looking like you're paying attention. You may be, I mean, my mm-hmm. son will do that and he'll listen to everything I say, even though mm-hmm. he's, he doesn't have mm-hmm. eye contact and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So there's that, but then you have the social emotional side of that's that's the first red flag sometimes for kids of going, I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. As the drawstrings close, you're just closing yourself off mm-hmm. because that's like a security blanket. That's where you feel safe. Mm-hmm. Where do you land on Hoodie Gate?
2: Hoodie Gate. That's the best. Well, let me kind of just start with the story. Many, many moons ago when I was first teaching, I, I will tell you, I can remember the first time I ever heard the word hoodie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was teaching sixth grade. And I called it a sweatshirt. And he's like, you mean a hoodie? I was like, okay, well, there you sure. go. So early 2000s. I didn't even know they were called hoodies. But I had a student that lived in a pretty uh, rough, um, rough house. Mm-hmm. And dad shaved this little boy's head. And the huh? boy was very proud of his hair and uh, came to school the next day wearing a hooded sweatshirt. And proceeded to wear the hooded sweatshirt for a good month and a half and the hood was up the whole time so i honored it because he told me i don't want anybody just it was a pride thing for him he was so proud sure. of his hair and you know he'd lost all of his hair like he it, it, it was, it was bald i honored it but i will tell you i had so many staff that weren't you know, weren't teachers, they were staff that really had a lot of concerns about why he was allowed to wear his hood and the, you know, in different settings across the school. He was excluded from some areas because he would refuse then to take his hood off. And so he and I spent lots of time together because places would not allow him to come in. I think about that early experience a lot, and I don't know why it was okay with me that he- wore it you know i don't think i really thought much about it like i didn't think it was like a socially you know like oh my goodness you know it was just i empathized with him and i understood so when i think about children um and and hoods i do think can come with a very negative you know connotation like it's can look or appear disrespectful um I think about like hats inside of a building. I know we have family that really just think you should never wear a hat when you're inside, you know, those kinds of things. So some, maybe some older values, but for me, what do you have? That is a security for you, right? We all have something that's a security for us, maybe not always about getting anxious, but I know that for me, when I don't have my cell phone on me, I, that's my, like, I I like to have my cell phone. It's a little bit of a security blanket, you know? So if that hood is a security blanket for the child, again, it's just meeting the needs. Meeting the needs of that child, you know, right then and there. I can can hoodies be abused? Absolutely. I know they make yeah. those really fun ones with all the headphones in them, and you mm-hmm. know all that good stuff, you know. But also, we know that music can be super calming for children. So again, I just I do think it's a lot about like perspective and um, understanding, empathizing, and caring. But also, my staff know I use this term a lot: high structure, high nurture. Right. So like I. Love you, and I want the best for you. But I also am going to say no to taking the Barbie to school because you know you no longer need it, right? So, um, and it's a balance. And I do think that teachers are really good at that. Can be really good at that boundary setting, and then also the nurture setting. You know, so when you have a balance, then then it all works out. So if that's what that child needs at the time is to wear their hood, awesome. Hopefully, eventually that will be something that will go away, and they're. Coping skill will be a little less visible, you know, it will maybe be more like the doodling or the, 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 fidget spinner in their pocket or the, you know, rubbing stone or something like that. But if the hood is what's going to help them to regroup, wear it.
1: And as you get older, you, you develop verbal communication. So you can say,
2: I'm mm-hmm. feeling a little
1: anxious or work out a, mm-hmm. a, a, code or a, a hand signal mm-hmm. or something with a teacher mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if you're not allowed to, to speak. But I, I kind of go back to like, do you want my kid? in a hood in the class or do you want him kicking chairs and <laughs> throwing things right
2: which and, and you are exactly right which would you prefer right one of one of my favorite things we adopted our uh, our daughter and she had some um, you know specific school needs but i remember the school principal saying oh my goodness like when we wrote her 504 he said these were just like things that like a natural educator would do to support their children you know and and to him the things that we had put in there um, we're much like what we're talking today. Things that mm-hmm. really music was her big um, was her big one. And so um, anytime there was independent work, then she was able to listen to music and it, her music wasn't she didn't listen to you know, bad music or, you know, music that wasn't school appropriate. Um, mostly it was just like a relaxation um, station or something like that, that she'd be playing through her earbuds. So that was what she needed and helped her to get through her day It helped her to complete her work. And then she didn't have to display other types of behaviors that are maybe a little less unfavorable, you know, in a school setting. So
1: Chrissy, if there is a, a policy with the school that says no hoodies, no cell phones, no music, no doodling, no gum, whatever. Mm-hmm can there still be accommodations made?
2: Absolutely. And I, I think that's where your your school team comes along and, and you can request, anyone can request a 504 for their child if they have an identified need, a healthcare need, um, a mental health need, anything like that. So if that's what's going to be supportive, you know, and support your child along the way, then, you know, request that team to meet and just have those things written into, you know, written into a 504 plan. Um, or if your child has has an IEP, you know, you would would place that there as well.
1: Or a, a BIP, a behavior intervention plan. Behavior intervention plan, plan absolutely. Yes, I kind of forgot that
2: one, morning. didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> There's
1: all kinds of acronyms and stuff. I know. Really.
2: Welcome to education.
1: Yeah. And I, I will throw out if, if your child fits that bill, we did do an episode a while back and I think we, we titled it after the Sesame street of this episode is brought to you by the letters uh, IEP and the numbers 504. So you can look for that where you download your mm-hmm. podcast. So one other quick question for you, Chris, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap things up, but just out of curiosity it has nothing really to do with this episode per se, but in the state of Illinois, where we all live, the legislature passed a law and the governor signed it. We're Children now get five mental health days in that school year. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I think that's wonderful. Um, I I can remember, goodness, I I feel like I'm just aging myself, but we had a student, a a mom, call in about 10 years ago. And her child, she she called her child in for a mental health day. And I looked at my secretary and I said, that is like the world's best mom, like right there, the world's best mom. Like I am so proud of her for recognizing that today was just not going to be the best day for him to be at school. And he needed this mental health day. And now here we have these these five mental health days. I think it recognizes that mental health really is, is a real thing, right? And that it, it does take some time, sometimes more than a day or more than an hour to re-regulate ourselves and just give ourselves that break that really that everyone everyone needs at times. I think it, it just makes you better and it, it makes you a better and stronger parent. It makes you a better, stronger student. But whoever's taking the mental health day, they're needed. Yeah. So I love it.
1: I used them before it was law too, and, and <laughs> a couple different school buildings, and neither building gave me any kind of guff. They're just like, okay, we appreciate yeah. the call. Nikki, is there anything else we need to uh, talk about while we have the educator at our disposal?
0: Well, that's I was just thinking. There's lots of times I've wanted to know what a school person would think about some of the ideas we throw out, but now Mm -hmm. that we have you with all your wisdom in front of us, I am drawing a blank. We need a
1: big big bird cage uh, to lock her in. But I tell you what, if we can always uh, call on her again, I'm sure she'd be. uh,
0: Oh,
2: happy to! to, Yeah, happy to help. I, I will. I feel like you know how you just know you have like a gift, and I, I just feel like my my gift is to help any child that doesn't feel like they fit or that they're different to show them that they do. And Mm, so, Oh my gosh, like I, you guys, we all struggle with something that's Mm -hmm. just the world, you know? And so when you can help a child to see that, like, this is, I don't want to say normalizing mental health, maybe that's the wrong term, but we we all have stuff and we all have to figure out how to get through life with
0: our stuff. Mm And just a little bit of compassion, a little bit of empathy goes a really long way. It goes such
2: a long way. Absolutely. You're right. So... Mm -hmm.
1: Well, a lot of what I learned from this episode too is all about communication with the mm-hmm. school district, with the teacher and mm-hmm. with your child. And our next mm-hmm. episode, episode 30, we're talking to um, a, another professional and she's talking about, and she's actually written a book. Her name is Rebecca Rowland and her book is The Art of Talking with Children. So we're going to get in touch with her and uh, talk to her about her book and just different ways to effectively talk to your child. So Chrissy, we appreciate your time and uh, listeners, we appreciate you listening to our podcast and sharing this where you seem um, evitable. And I think this is one of the few episodes we haven't asked for a review. So I'm just going to keep it with that and not ask for you to do a review on Apple uh, Podcasts. So our goal was to start a conversation and uh, that conversation continues with you.